What's up, everybody? Welcome to your latest installment of the Nuclear Barbarians podcast. It is I, your nuclear barbarian, Emmett Penny. And today I have a guest who I'm very excited to talk to, very excited to learn from. This is Dominic Wipplinger from the Austrian Nuclear Society and Nuclearia. Dominic, how is it going, bud? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, we still don't have nuclear power plants in Austria. So yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the main <laughs> problem, but everything else is fine. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad you could make the time to talk to me today because I have many questions. So before we get into any sort of my like broad what's up in Austria, what's up in Europe right now stuff, tell me about you. How did you get into nuclear? What's your background? So Back in 2004, when I was in middle school, a physics teacher of us put somewhere in the school a scientific magazine. And I took it and I read a, an article about the project Prometheus, a NASA project, when they wanted to build the, the Chimo space probe, the Jupiter Ice Moon Explorer, I think was the name. And this was a project for a nuclear-powered space probe. And uh, thanks to the nuclear reactor, it was able to be, or would have been able to be equipped with a, a high-power ion engine and yeah, very powerful radar systems, uh, which would have uh, enabled it to see through the ice shield of the, of the moons of Jupiter. And I learned from this article that nuclear power can make things possible that no other power source would, because it's simply not possible with any other power source to to get enough power in uh, the Jupiter orbit because it's too far away from the sun and you cannot store enough energy in a, with a chemical battery or any other chemical power system. And yeah, basically since then I, I start to become interested in, in nuclear energy, nuclear technology. So in the early years, I, I had problems to, to find information about nuclear energy in, in, in Austria. Yeah, I read Wikipedia articles, uh, that, but the German Wikipedia articles were not so great about, <laughs> especially back in the day, about nuclear energy. And uh, I also didn't know anyone else who was really interested in nuclear energy or knew mm. much about it. And when I started to study at the technical university, I... I was able to learn uh, more and more about it. And then very soon after I, st I started to study, um, Fukushima happened. And uh, yeah, it, it was a... Uh, yeah, set everybody back. <laughs> yeah, at first I, I couldn't really believe that something is, is really going wrong in the, in the power plant because in, in Austrian media, you always hear that something is going on in some especially back in the day in, in some nuclear power plants, and it's always nothing. <laughs> and so I was thinking, ah, they're just talking again mm -hmm. about the problems, but it will be no major problems at the end. But obviously then this hydrogen explosions happened, and I noticed, ooh, <laughs> uh, something is really going wrong there. Yeah. And yeah, I start to inform myself about it and what's going on there and yeah, what's what went wrong, how how dangerous it really was. Um, yeah, then I, I I started to to see the impact on the on the on the policy side. On for example, the in Germany, the the shutdown of the nuclear nuclear power plants there. 
and I wanted to to do something against this and to to keep the power plants open. And a few months after that, I, I found a leaflet in, at the university, and it informed me about the uh, regular meetup of the the monthly meetup of the Austrian Nuclear Society. And yeah, just just went there and got to know the people there. And mm. yeah, then I started to learn more about nuclear. And I took nuclear engineering classes at the Technical University and nuclear reactor physics classes, radiation protection classes. So everything. you went all in. You were, you were yes. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, I'm doing it for books. real. Yeah, I read uh, nuclear engineering books. The Austrian Nuclear Society, we, we made uh, nuclear tourism. <laughs> for example, we, the first trip that we made at the, where I joined was uh, to France, where we visited the Melox plant and the Super Phoenix reactor, which was uh, sadly shut down already at that time. And I also started to work at nuclear power plants. There is a There was an, uh, a company which basically, if Westinghouse Electric needed more people for the refueling outages in Germany, they, they hired via this company students for, for, for mm. help. And I started to work as a, as a basically measurement technician to yeah, do some routine checkups in this this plant or help with oh, that's awesome that. yes and uh, it was really really awesome because i finally was able to to see the see the plants from inside yeah and uh, yeah learn a lot about them how they work how how, how the work is done in these plants uh, mm-hmm. how, how they are yeah it's it's what's really amazing and then uh, there was this organization called Nuclearia in, in Germany. I, I followed it on Facebook back in the day. And at this time, it was uh, still a part of the, the German Pirate Party. And, oh, I always uh, forget about that connection. Yeah, there were some people at this uh, at the German Pirate Party who, who were interested in nuclear energy and, and found this, uh, this yeah, group where they, where they wanted to talk about it. <laughs> But they more or less get got kicked out of the pirate party, and then they yeah they they opened it as a as an NGO basically, mm-hmm. an independent uh, organization, and I joined this organization. Yeah, and, I and so when was a, that about when the when the split from the pirate party happens? I think 2012. Oh, okay. So this this goes back a ways. Yes. And I was one of the first members, uh, mm-hmm. which was who were not previously part of the of the pirate party. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I become one of the more active members. For example, I, I start the or monthly online meetups and so on. So let me ask you, like, as like when you first enter ANS and and Nuclearia, like, how do nuclear advocates feel? Like, uh, how are they thinking about nuclear? And, and by that, I just mean, is everybody just like, is, is it despondent or is it hopeful or, you know, sort of what's the view of everybody? It was, it was quite difficult back in the day, direct, uh, shortly after Fukushima, um, mm-hmm. because we, we saw the potential of nuclear energy, the necessity to use nuclear energy for, yeah, to stop climate change and to, to provide energy security. But no one wanted to listen and yeah their the plants were shut down especially in germany mm-hmm. i mean in austria we almost had nothing to lose so. <laughs> yeah you may as well right like you're already not doing it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah that was the 
So the feeling, but we, yeah, we try to slowly, yeah, mostly in an online conversation on social media to talk with people, to connect with people. And we knew that it's a slow process and it was a slow process, but it's, it's some kind of social chain reaction. The, the bigger you get, the, the faster it, it grows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and you say that like back in the day, it was, it was way, way harder. So what's changed over time for you and for nuclear advocacy? where you are a few things changed i think one thing is that we just got more thanks to this this social chain reactions mm. another thing is that we it seems that the social media comments slowly had an effect on journalism mm. and the journalists learned from them if, uh, if there are a lot of social media comments over years that are telling them about their mistakes in their articles about nuclear energy. Sometimes they read it and they learn from it. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure mm. about that. And another thing that changes that I think the, yeah, the Fukushima was not that bad. Japan yeah. still exists. People <laughs> slowly forget it. There are other more important things now. And that's also helpful, certainly. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's amazing what a setback Fukushima was internationally for nuclear. Like it's, as somebody who came in after like years after Fukushima, the more I learned about sort of like that international wave of anti-nuclearism that rolls in, I was like, this is worse for nuclear than the 70s. Yeah. Before Fukushima, I didn't saw a reason why I should advocate for nuclear because it advocates for itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for real. It's so good that it will succeed at the end. But uh, yeah, Fukushima was was really a, a major setback. So, so then let me ask you this. What's up with the Austrian situation? You guys don't have any plants. Have you had plants in the past and you shuttered them? Or oh, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting story and sad story. Often so is. <laughs> Yeah, back in the 1950s, we, we tried, when we became a free country again, we tried to, to yeah, get in with, with nuclear energy business. And we started some research reactors. Uh, we still have one in, in Vienna at the Institute of Atomic and Subatomic Physics at the Technical University. And I had some lectures there as a student. It's a very nice, it's a trigger reactor, so you can operate it as a student. And for example, we we put fuel elements out of the reactor and see what the effect this had on the reactivity. And we put samples in the reactor and to see how radioactive they become and did some experiments like that as, as students. And yeah, really nice, interesting That's experience. Awesome. You can see the, see the nice blue glow when the reactor is operating. <laughs> and so really, really great facility. And there, was, there were two other research reactors, one, one large material test reactor, 10 megawatt material test reactor, where they did isotope production. And yeah. So is that and, like and, medical isotopes or? Yes, uh, medical isotopes. So for example, the, the technetium uh, 99M was produced mm. there. And it was one of the first reactors where they developed this uh, method to produce this uh, technetium without using uranium, because normally you produce it as a, or the mother nuclear, this molecule 99 as a fission product, 
And obviously, this you need uh, to do this efficiently. You need uh, highly enriched uranium, and you produce a lot of waste. But they used the molybdenum to produce it. It's a bit less. You get a less pure molybdenum ninety nine because it's mixed with non radioactive molybdenum. But they yeah, it was quite modern cool. uh, technology. Awesome. And for example, another thing that did they participated in the early days of the of the Dragon Project, the Euratom Dragon Project, and they. I produced the first uh, in the world, I think, this uh, triso fuel or this coated particle fuel for high mm. temperature reactors. And yeah, it was it was a nice. Uh, sounds pretty cutting edge, right? Yeah, well, back in the back in the 1960s, it was a, yeah. a pretty good, well-equipped uh, nuclear research center. And back in the day, Austria had quite significant uh, nuclear technology uh, going on. Uh, for example, the this, uh, we have a lot of steel industry in Austria and first it's called uh, the United Austrian Iron and Steel Plants is a large company. They, they made reactor parts, uh, steam generator parts, mm -hmm. reactor pressure vessel parts, uh, containment parts and so on. Andritz, another large Austrian company, they made refueling machines and main coolant pumps. And wow, you guys had a lot of the supply chain right there. Uh, and Andritz, Andritz still makes main coolant pumps, but they, I think they, or at least it develops to develop them, sure. the license they designed to the, to China, and a lot of uh, new Chinese reactors still use this Austrian or Austrian oh, coolant pumps. And yeah, the the construction companies uh, Strabag, for example, or and uh, Wagner Biro were also involved in nuclear mm -hmm. technology. Siemens Austria, yeah. Right, and, so, you, uh, so you've got a lot of just like you have a lot of the makings for what should be a robust nuclear reactor industry. Yeah. And, and back in the early 1970s, we finally wanted to build a nuclear power plant. There were, were talks about to build a nuclear power plant in the earlier than that. But yeah, back in the late 1960s, early 70s, they finally decided to build a nuclear power plant. There were three parties in the parliament back in the day. So the two major parties was the conservative party and the, the ÖVP and the social democratic party, uh, SPÖ. And there was the smaller right-wing party, FPÖ. And at first there was a conservative government and they decided to start to build this, this power plant. And then the government changed to the social democratic government. And when the, the plant was starting to get finished, there, there were some protests against it and the, the social democratic government decided to make a, a referendum about the startup of the, of the power plant. And they were basically absolutely sure that they will, would win it. But then the, the social democratic uh, councillor said that he, would, that he would step down if, the, if there is a vote against the nuclear power plant. And the Why? conservative Why would party, he... oh, was because, it... he was, because he was so popular that he think that it would help the... Oh, so it was a little bit of hubris. The referendum. Yes. And then the conservative party started to, to be against the nuclear power plant because they hoped that this councillor will... That there, yeah, there will be a new chance to get earlier elections. And yeah, then there was this, this referendum and it was I think 49 point something uh, versus uh, 50 something percent and it was yeah 
a bit, yeah, it was, they were a bit more on the, on the anti side. Wow. But, but most or a lot of people who, who voted against the, the power plant were basically voted just on this, on this party lines. And right. Uh, so it was really more about like the, cha the chancellor made it about himself. And so people were voting yes. about yeah. whether or not they wanted him there rather than whether they really cared about nuclear. Yes. And wow. it was also, God. you can see in the, in the, in the state, in the Austrian states where the, the conservative party is the, the strongest, uh, most people were against it. And in the uh, states where the social democratic party right. was the strongest, most people were in favor. And for example, you had a vast majority in Vorarlberg against this nuclear power plant, even though no nuclear power plant was ever planned there. But there were some <laughs> typical. But there was some opposition in Vorarlberg because there was a Swiss nuclear project near the border back in the day. And the people in Vorarlberg protested against the Swiss power plant. And they yeah, hoped that if Austria doesn't use nuclear power, they they had a better position in this process protest oh i get it yeah because like if, that, so. right because yeah. if austria has one then it's sort of like what are you guys complaining about yes and yeah then there was a lot of talks what we what should we do now and they talked for several years the austrian nuclear society was was founded back in the day because yeah some some people wanted to yeah, reverse this referendum and then they wanted to make a new referendum in 1986 but what happened in 1986, and after this, this accident, the, refer the new referendum was canceled. And basically, it became part of the, the Austrian political culture that, mm. that we, we have been saved from such an accident thanks to our democratic wisdom of this referendum. <laughs> and all parties turned against the nuclear energy. Yeah. The, the problem was then, why did we? want to use nuclear power in the first place because we back in the 1970s we used hydropower and coal but coal from the austrian mines was getting more and more expensive and we knew that we will mm. would run out in the 1990s and these problems still exist in the in the 1980s obviously and there was no good alternative so they decided to build out hydropower as much as as possible and to use imported coal and gas from the soviet union mm. and yeah then then there was another there were large protests against the hydropower projects and the green party was formed from this protest against against hydropower so typical and so the only thing that's what's left were imported coal and, and, and gas from, from Russia. And in the 1990s, yeah, we run out of, of we really run out of, of the of the coal from our, our own coal coal mines. So we had to import all the coal. And later in I think the last was shut down in 2018, we shut down the last coal plants because of climate concerns. And now we only use hydropower and the Russian gas. Oh boy! So how much is you? How much of your energy consumption is pipelined from Russia? Do you know offhand? It's fine if you don't. I'm not really sure. It it largely depends on the on the time of the year because uh, we sure. use a lot of gas for heating, and in the winter there is less hydropower. In the winter is uh, I think about 60, 70 percent of the of the electricity comes from from gas plants or is imported directly. Wow! Wow! That's a ton of gas. Yeah, and and. Uh, 
the electricity uh, or the, the, uh, the heating, domestic heating also is, uh, I know here in Vienna, we have about 50% gas. I, I have a gas, yeah, gas heating in my, my flat as well. <laughs> I, yeah, I stopped to use it in, in February because of the <laughs> invasion. <laughs> I didn't want to, to, to fuel the war, but yeah, it's not so easy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so where are you guys now? Because things in Europe are wild energy wise. Is that making it easier for you guys to make the pro-nuclear argument? In Austria, there's almost no, pro, still almost no pro-nuclear discussion. So there are some pro-nuclear articles in some, or, or yeah, more realistic articles in some media outlets, but there is no major yeah, there's no party who is actively pushing for a nuclear. Mm. I, I forgot one, one part of the story. Back in oh, the 1990s, please. there was a, a group which wanted to, uh, who did a petition to the parliament to make the, an anti-nuclear law as an amendment of the constitution. And they succeeded because no party back in the day wanted to support nuclear energy because there was no reason to support nuclear energy. Many people were against nuclear energy yeah. and basically no one was in favor of nuclear energy. There were no economic interests for nuclear energy. And so they came, yeah, they, they managed to do it. So we need two thirds of the votes in the parliament. Yeah, take this back. Wow, that's a huge obstacle. Yeah, that, that makes it more difficult. And so, yeah, basically there's still no, no politicians who, who are brave enough to speak out in favor of nuclear energy. Maybe there are some who are secretly pro-nuclear, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, only the ones who are against it speak out because, and there are, I mean, there is no, still no really, I mean, for, for in, the la in the last decades, the previous decades, uh, nuclear energy, if you look at the neighboring countries, uh, the development of nuclear energy was slow and expensive and gas was cheap. So it was easy to, to not use nuclear energy. For example, in Slovakia, they are now finally powering on in the, I mean, I'm really glad that they finally managed to do it. Uh, the mm -hmm. Mohovs uh, free nuclear power plant but they, are, they start to build it again in 2008. So I think, so that's a quite long time construction time. And it wow, costs yeah. cost much more than it should have. And if you, you can point at that and say, oh, nuclear is too expensive and too slow. So it's, uh, it's easier to just use gas, <laughs> but yeah. And yeah, at the moment they don't really know what to do. They wanted to turn the last coal plants back on, but they, there were a lot of discussions and delays and I don't really know. There's no, no really, really a, a strategy that they're extremely short-sighted uh, decision-making in the energy policy of Austria. Uh, we have a, a green, yeah. The, the head of the ministry is a, is an, a campaigner of a green NGO, Leonora mm. Gewessler. Uh, so uh, she was head of, head of uh, Global 2000. It's basically an, yeah, an Austrian, more even maybe maybe even more radical uh, version of Greenpeace. <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, so so you've got stiff opposition there. Yes. Yeah. So at the moment. 
Okay, well then, so what do you guys, like, what's your strategy right now, both ANS and Nuclearia? Like, what do you see as your main goals for getting more support for nuclear where you are? I think we will only go back to nuclear in Austria if if we see that other European countries manage to make nuclear quick, quicker and more economically. Mm. That's the only way back. So if it gets more popular in other countries, we will follow. I hope. Right. So they every they need the politicians need to know the water's warm. Yeah. So we. So that's that's why I also I'm fighting fight the fight in, in Germany with Nuclearia and and I do what I can to support our friends in other countries and in Austria we basically because the Austrian politicians they try to to fight against nuclear power projects in other countries for example. Slovakia or the UK that tried to sue the UK for the for Hinkley point. It's no way. Topic. And uh, yeah, we we tried to argue against that because um, yeah, it's 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 just stupid. And yeah, <laughs> that's that is uh, wild. The thing we can do in Austria at the moment, yeah, and uh, educate the public. Obviously, that's always important. Mm, mm. So yeah, so tell me about that. Like you know, public comms is so important to the nuclear. Uh, pro-nuclear movement globally because, you know, since the 60s and 70s, nuclear has really been on the back foot and sort of, you know, behind the anti-nuclear greens. What, uh, were you guys seeing success? Like, what are your strategies for educating the public? Hmm. So it's uh, really, uh, really easy to do it in, in social media, at least if people are interested. So one I mean, it's not really organ- that much organized, but we try to, to comment the newspaper articles and stuff like that in, in social media. And personally, I don't have a Twitter account, but many people... That's probably good. Twitter. Good for you. Keep it that way. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. <laughs> I, I sometimes read Twitter, but I, I not act- act- I'm not actively using it. But some people use Twitter and have been more or less successful to, to hmm. go in contact with journalists and... and politicians that's maybe one of the more important reasons to to use twitter mm-hmm. uh, i have a youtube channel but it's uh, i only uploaded a few videos so that's maybe not the most successful thing yet <laughs> uh so I you think guys one... are so just just to sort of sum sum up what, what you said to make sure i'm hearing you correctly is that part of your strategy is just, you know, even if it's not totally organized, that's fine. You guys are just trying to convince people one-on-one in social media spaces. You're trying to engage in discourse on the internet with politicians, and you're trying to slowly change the press's assumptions on how they report on this stuff. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's the slow fight, but it seems to be effective in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Now we have, yeah, the, the situation gets better and better. Uh, tragically, uh, because of the, the war in Ukraine and the extremely high energy prices at the moment, that's also an, a good argument. Um, mm-hmm. I wish it were... Well, <laughs> yeah, I wish it, it was but, another way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's even more important and it's uh, even more obvious that we need mm-hmm. nuclear energy now than ever. Yeah, climate climate change is also a big argument. I try to join Fridays for Future protests um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
and I noticed that the, the young people there, the, the students are often, they don't know much or if anything about nuclear, mm -hmm. they're quite interested, but that's good. Yeah. They, the, the people in Austria, they are not very anti-nuclear. They are, they, they are somewhat anti-nuclear because they have been told to be anti-nuclear in school and they never had a reason to question it because mm -hmm. there was never a major discussion about it. Some mm -hmm. people are slightly pro-nuclear even in the, in the public uh, or, or totally neutral. Right. So it's not like a firm anti-nuclearism that you're fighting against. Yes. It's really I, I just a lack of awareness. Yes, but there is almost no, yeah, there are almost no pro-nuclear interests in Austria. There are no companies mm. who are pro-nuclear. There are no political parties, politicians who are pro-nuclear. There is no reason to be pro-nuclear. I mean, you if you don't really if you're not really interested in nuclear energy and because yeah there there is no company who wants to build a nuclear uh, power plant in austria and has not mm. been since the 1970s so do you think that I, that'll change after this winter no not yet. <laughs> not, not not enough more pain is required <laughs> yes i think mm, because it's i mean it it's still too slow to be an immediate solution. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think it will change if, uh, I don't know, if Germany wants to build new nuclear power plants and the, the Poles build one reactor per year for on yeah, time yeah. on budget, then uh, we will... <laughs> yeah, you'll look into it. <laughs> or something like that. But I think Austria will not be the first one. It will be the one of the last ones in Europe. But it will follow at some point, I, I yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah, in the long run, there will be Austrian reactors. Yes. Yeah. But what, let me ask you this now. This is really fascinating background. I mean, just so many, so many common stories in what happens to nuclear across the West in the last half century. But enough of the past, enough of the present situation what are you looking forward to in nuclear? Like what gives you hope for nuclear and for nuclear in Austria, if anything? I mean, I know that it's that it has an enormous potential, that it's necessary and that it will be successful in the future. Mm -hmm. Austria will not be the first place where it's successful, but it will be successful in other places. And I'm sure it will be successful in Europe. In the, mm in the coming 10 to 20 years in other European countries. I mean, there are a lot of countries who want to push to go to new nuclear. Yeah. Poland, the Baltic states, uh, Finland, mm -hmm. Romania, a lot of countries. Slovakia, Czech Republic, Slovenia, uh, France, of course. I mean, the, the French nuclear fleet and the French nuclear politics have their own problems, but yeah. Uh, they're they're going back to it uh, i'm sure mm -hmm. netherlands is also approaching more pro-nuclear politics sweden now with the recent election yeah yeah and i mean i think there are a lot of countries who don't want to be don't want to end up in germany's position yeah as well and and we will have a successful project in one of these countries and the other, all of the others will follow. And then at some point we will follow, I'm sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So it's sort of like a, it's sort of like, a, you know, you're drinking a, like ice water out of a glass and you're trying to get the last little bit and the ice yeah. cubes are like, hold, hold. And then all of a sudden they <laughs> fall on your face all at once. That's how it'll yes. be for nuclear in Europe. Yes. Yes. Even on this level, it's a, it's a chain reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And it, I'm sure it, it goes exponential, like a nuclear chain reaction. I love that. I love that. No, that's great. Um, well, that's the awesome. more successful nuclear energy becomes, it, uh, the quicker it becomes even more successful, I'm sure. Yeah. I, hey, nothing breeds success like success. Yes. You know. For a long time, the director has been subcritical, <laughs> maybe, or, or <laughs> <low> critical, <laughs> but, yeah. but now we're pulling now. the controller slowly. <laughs> Slowly, slowly we're getting there. So how do people find you? How do they find your stuff? How do they get involved? If we have any listeners in Europe that want to pitch in. I mean, we have we are on various social media platforms. Nuclearia has a, has a Discord channel. Great. Where we are quite active and we make, make this a monthly meet. For example, on the, on the 13th of every month and on the last first day. Or, so we have even two monthly or bi-monthly mm -hmm. meetups now and uh, yeah the austrian nuclear society has a has a crappy homepage, a page which is, which is more or less broken at the moment and uh, yeah we have a facebook page a whatsapp group signal group and more or less monthly meetup in real life in vienna okay okay cool so i'll put the link to so you can send me the links to some of that and i'll put them in the show notes so that people can people can join you thank you yeah any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up here Hmm. Yeah, I wish we see a, a bright future for nuclear in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, yeah. Me too, me too. Well, this was awesome, man. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. I hope I can make it out to your neck of the woods sometime soon as well so that we can meet in person. And everybody else out there, stay sharp, yes, of stay strong, and stay radiant. And we will see you next time.